filmmaker Steven Soderbergh. This is episode 22, The Girlfriend Experience from 2009. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Mike Manzi. And I am Tobin Addington. And I realized that this is the third uh, um, feature film from Sasha Gray that I've seen, which <laughs> surprises me. In what, in what way? She's been in like 17 things. She's been in, I saw her in this bad horror movie called Would You Rather. I've seen her on Entourage. Well, she, she plays herself on Entourage, I'm sure, right? Yeah, yeah. She's in like an entire season dating Vince. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she, she's just like an actress in that. And then she's in a movie with Elijah Wood, directed by Nacho Vigalanda, that played a Fantastic Fest a couple years ago called Open Windows, which sort of like Unfriended, but Unfriended was a lot better. Open Windows takes place all on a computer screen. She's sort of video chatting, I think, with Elijah Wood, I think. I don't remember it being great, but I like Nacho Vigalando, and they were all there. No, she wasn't there. Uh, Elijah Wood and Nacho were there at Fantastic Fest to talk about it, but I just was sort of like, eh. But yeah, noted pornographic actress Sasha Gray I've seen now in three feature films, which is probably three more than I would have expected to when you said, hey, this porn star is now an actress. Right, like not since the days of Tracy Lords where <laughs> has someone transitioned quite like this, I suppose. Here's my question. I mean, I know technically she's not, you know, at this moment, she wasn't like a um, legitimate actress or whatever you want to call it, but is she the only actor in this movie? Is there is everyone else like people or do we have any other actors in this movie? Well, her boyfriend is for sure not an actor. This is the only thing he's ever done. I don't know. I didn't look anybody else up. What I did see was that this was still in the midst of her porn career. It looked like she was active from about 06 to 2010 or so. At least that's what her Wikipedia said, like in terms of awards she won for the for that kind of stuff. And this came out in 09. So it was probably filmed in 08. So this is in the middle of that. What I found interesting, and I feel like this is sort of like maybe not entirely true, was that Soderbergh discovered her after a profile. He read about her in the Los Angeles Magazine, which, okay, I feel like... If you have ever watched porn, uh, you know Sasha Gray, because she was huge. Like, she's one of the biggest porn stars. As far as I think, I, I mean, I, there might be bigger. I don't know. Maybe, I'm, maybe I don't, I'm out of my depth here. But I feel like she's one of the biggest porn stars of the last decade or so. And so for him to be like, oh, yeah, I read about her in a magazine once. Like, you know, yeah, maybe. It sounded to me in the little making of on the DVD when he tells this story, what he was saying was not necessarily that it was the first time he was aware of her as a human being, but that the way she talked about her work, the way she talked about balancing her life and, and being a, at the time, 18 or 19 year old, oh, okay. um, you know, adult film star and the fame that came with that and the sort of um, transactional quality of, of her work in that way. And that that sort of stuck in his mind as sort of an interesting, you know, this is a guy who's very, very thoughtful about his own work and very sort of clinical about that. And I think that it sounded like it was the way she talked about her work that sort of that's why she came up when this idea okay. came together and i think her porn career kind of mirrors some of the themes in this film too because you wouldn't have heard of her i mean she wouldn't be so famous if she didn't know how to market her brand right like i feel like a lot of it came down to that as well she really took control of like her situation like from what i have heard her talk about like she never felt like out of control that she does what she wants to do and isn't talked into anything and is pretty much in control of what she does and so I just find that pretty interesting and maybe that's why she was so successful in that field and able to kind of you know transition a little bit into feature filmmaking or at least uh, non-pornographic uh, entertainment. Mm -hmm. 
important to note is that this movie was adapted into a TV series from last year, 2016, starring Riley Keough, whom I love, who's from American Honey, and she's from Love Song, and she's Elvis's granddaughter. And season two is upcoming, and it's going to be different actors, different actresses, an anthology. Soderbergh is a producer, not a writer, director. I wonder if, for a future season of that, or maybe for a future project of his... If Soderbergh would go back to this well that he once tapped, and the only other person I can think of that has sort of transcended the porn world into mainstream news, I guess? Do you guys remember a couple years ago there was that actress? I don't know what her real name is. I think her porn name is Belle Knox? Bella Knox? Do you remember that? Do you remember her or no? Was she running for president or something? No. She was a student (laughs) at Duke who was funding her tuition by doing porn. And so she did this whole, whatever she did, it became mainstream national news because this pretty young white girl felt like she she was making a stand like, I can't afford college. Look what I have to do. But this is my choice. I want to do this. So I wonder if this is a roundabout way of saying, I wonder if Soderbergh for a future project, if he would use someone like her or if he's like, I already did that with Sasha Gray. I already proved that I can do it. I don't need to do it again. Because I feel like he sort of likes those challenges in terms of taking people who are not really actors and seeing like, hey, let's see what you can do in an actual movie. Yeah, I suppose I suppose that's true. It seems to me that this comes down more to the needs of the project. Like my understanding is he didn't read the article and say, hey, I'm going to make a movie around this woman. He's on the set or after they've shot Ocean's 13 talking to the two writers, of, co-writers of that who wrote this movie and they're at a bar and they see this woman across the bar who seems, there's just, he said something was sort of unusual about her and they said, oh yeah, that's a, that's a GFE. That's a girlfriend experience. And he's like, what's this thing that you mentioned? And it's out of that that the project came about. And then he married that to this idea of mm, Sasha Gray. Like okay. She fit the movie. The movie wasn't built uh, around her. So while watching this movie, I couldn't stop thinking about Bubble in that they're both so similar. They're both featuring non-actors. But the difference, one of the main differences at least, is that here he actually used real sets and real equipment. And like it's a really pretty slick looking movie which i understand fits the aesthetic of the story he's telling yeah the camera work to me is kind of what sells this movie the most what i was actually most interested in because it switches up to elevate or enhance a certain mood or style like i mean it's not all super slick right like we switch to a lot of handheld stuff like on the airplane between the businessmen and the camera gets herky-jerky a lot depending on the situation. I feel like emotional states of people are expressed through the visual language of the film. And that sort of kept me interested when I almost felt that this was a little too, like, I don't want to say random, but I almost wish it was a little more told in more of like a linear fashion and maybe uh, a little less like episodic. It feels like, you know, I understand how this became a TV show so easily, (laughs) like, watching it, you know, you could just see the John of the week, or, like, several Johns in one episode, and I don't know, I I wanted something different from this movie, but I ended up enjoying it anyway, nonetheless, Uh, but I do, I do think, like, the camera work stands out in the way that music usually stands out in a film to accent a certain moment, and, uh, and I liked that effect watching this. 
Another connection to Bubble, too, is that these are both HDNet movies. This is the same yeah. Oh, yeah, deal yeah, yeah, yeah. he made, right, with Mark Cuban's company. And so, you know, this is this is a under $2 million movie that they shot on video using available light in much the same way as they did as they did Bubble. And it has a improvisational feel to it. And in fact, apparently the scene where Christine's boyfriend, Chris, is riding on this private jet to Las Vegas from New York for the weekend. And there's a, like a hand handheld camera on the plane. And as these guys are sort of talking on their way, like they just hired them a plane, gave them a camera and Soderbergh and the crew flew in a different plane. And he just let them like be and shoot themselves on the whole trip from New York to Las Vegas. And so it, it was, you know, I think you're totally right, Joey, to call out, you know, it's not just the deal this movie was made under, but a lot of the ways this movie was made mirror the ways that, that, that Bubble was made. It's also very much about economics and about the sort of um, substrata of, you know, humanity of like, you know, the United States at this time at a very specific moment. Right. Their ec desperate economic situation, all that stuff. You can feel that in this movie, too. It shares a lot of the same DNA. And yet it looks beautiful it so really, much really it. does so much of it looks looks just beautiful so you know it's a testament to both what he's able to do as a director but as you say also to, to match that to the material that he's that he's working with it's amazing how much of a companion piece this is now that you mention it because it's like the bubble is about the destitute of people right and and this is sort of about how the super elite rich are dealing with the recession you know so you get between these two movies, it's kind of nice they didn't make a third one because I feel like they bookend like very well. Like you could just look at these two, compare them, and have a really interesting time. And the movie takes place during the Great Recession, right? Like this is the the, the week or two leading up to the 2008 election. That was hilarious. Just hearing about like yeah. the election then compared to the one we just went through. <laughs> Eight years later, here we are. But yeah, so it's it's in that time period. I didn't love this movie. I think that of all of his experiments, I think this is one I like more than most. I just think it's okay in the end. Like, it's just another one of his, to me, it's another one of, like, his experiment films. That it's a movie where he's doing something on the cheap just to sort of show that he can in this deal with HD now with Mark Cuban. He's using people who aren't really actors. I like the frank nature of the conversations, like sort of like the movie, you kind of feel like a voyeur watching this, like especially like the conversations that she has with that old guy that sort of goes permeates throughout the entire film. They're in that like cafe or whatever. I like that, like, because you're just sort of like watching them kind of from afar. And then finally you like, the, like toward the end of the movie, like the camera swings around, you finally see him. I like that nature of it, like that element of it. But I think like on a whole, it's just another one of those movies where I'm just like, okay, cool. He did this thing. I don't need to see it again. I feel like I'm being... I'm, I'm sort of harping on the same notes here, movie after movie, but, like, I'm glad that he does these things. It just doesn't really fully work for me. It does, it's, not, it's not entertaining, even though it's more entertaining than other movies. Is this the first time you had seen it, or do you seen it yeah, before? Yeah, first time. Th that was my reaction the first time I see it. I, I came back to this movie with some trepidation because that was my reaction. It felt overly clinical. It, the casting of Sasha Gray felt kind of stunt like to me the first time through and I there were a lot of barriers to me this time I kind of love this movie in in a soft love this is not a this is <laughs> I don't love this the way I love out of sight by any means I don't know it, it unfolded for me in a, in a much more interesting way the idea that you that you've cast this porn star who a you know wide swath of the viewing audience will have at some point seen her having sex in real life and so in this movie about an escort 
we never see her have sex. And you don't need to because it's like we carry that sort of like we know she's having sex all the time because because you, you've seen it. Right. So there's something I think there's kind of kind of genius about this. And, and there's I really like what he does with her. I, I felt more sort of interest and compassion in her for her as a character this time through than I did last time that she's that she's both taking charge of her life, but also at such so much at the mercy of so many people and that 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 tension is i think i think he sort of explores that beautifully and then the fact that so many of the conversations in this movie have nothing to do with sex but they have to do with money i mean the very first conversation that she has with the guy once they're in the hotel room is about yeah this guy borrowed money from me again and i don't know what to say about it everything the desperation around money in this movie is kind of palpable and i you know again i put this in in that same league with something like magic mike which we'll get to or bubble in that way that like the the what people do for work and the fact that they have to do this thing for work to survive is not something that gets explored in a lot of movies and i just i don't know i felt very connected to that this time around and also the fact last thing is that they is that i think they get that sort of not terrors the ter- terror is too strong a word but the unnerving unsettled quality of 2008 of the immediate post-financial crisis america i think they get that so spot on i mean everybody's hustling in this movie and you really you really feel that yeah i don't know i i like this movie a lot more than i did the first time i saw it i'm probably somewhere in the middle of you two guys i had also seen this before and i like it more this time but I feel like I'm just more accustomed to Soderbergh as well. Like, I, I understood what type of film this was going to be, and so I was more prepared. Now, I, I don't like everything about it. Like, there's some things that really annoy me about this movie, to be quite honest. Like, I mean, I understand the, the urge, maybe, is not the right word, but the challenge of using non-actors. But like I said back in Bubble, I feel like you got to at least, you know, pick someone who does theater or something like at least her boyfriend was convincing i felt like he played really well really i i mean out of everybody out of everyone there he he seemed you know just like the kind of guy like a trainer like a crossfit trainer or whatever just like this kind of he's kind of an ass I, you know like, i totally <laughs> bought him no i i'm with you i totally i totally bought him he he has done other things he's he's got four or five more credits too this year he's you know he started as a personal trainer he was one of the writers personal trainers so you know you're right he's not a trained actor by any means but i i bought him yeah so when i said this was the only thing he did i remember now that he had done other things he did one thing like 20 years before this so he was probably just like a kid in something and i saw that he had a couple things coming out this year but I bought him when he was in the gym, but every time he was talking to Sasha Gray, I just, I was, I, I, I couldn't, like, it just didn't work for me. That, that's, that kind of struggled for me too, but that leads to my other big issue with this movie is I just, I just wish that he kind of used less tricks to tell this story. I wish it was linear. Um, like, I feel like that's an overcomplication sometimes for films is to just like not be completely in order you know um and at times and i understand it because at times this movie feels like a memory or like you know it's just capturing moments and you're supposed to at times feel maybe disoriented because she's always going from place to place and she's never really settling down and she's always on the move and it's like you know that is you know kind of jarring so i understand maybe the movie wants me to feel that way but if this was told in sequence 
I feel like it would be super duper strong, like really strong. That you could really chart her arc and her emotions and like what she's feeling uh, after situations. Because when they're told out of order, I'm not sure where she is at what time and what date, like what where her headspace is. It's hard to kind of gauge that. Or if that's even the point, I wish it was sort of said a little easier. Well, because like, because what's weird about that specifically, Mike, is that she makes such a point in these like voiceover diary entries of saying he set another date for November 3rd or whatever. You know what I mean? Like dates and time is important and specific to her. And then you're right. Like they just don't really establish when or where we are. Yeah, and I almost wish they used those voiceovers for her to have some kind of inner monologue somehow. Like, I, I, I imagine that was her writing her book, maybe, and if that's yeah. her book, it's going to be boring as shit, because <laughs> it's just stats, and that would have been a great moment to be, to show her writing her, working on her novel, or her book, and, like, talking about herself, right? The real her, the one that she never shows anybody, the one that she's guarding even from the reporter. It's just... A moment I was waiting for, I guess, that I, that I never really got is just a little piece of her puzzle I was expecting to to be able to see. Now, I so let me come to a little bit more of a defense of this movie. Then I agree with you that the, there's a certain unmotivated quality to the the fact that it's nonlinear. I do, in the end, like it. I think I think it has to do with it's not it's not that it's there's no psychological motivation for it. She's not remembering this. This isn't some kind of you know disjointed dream. I think it, it it's more has more to do with sort of the fact of, of how much this movie is about commodification. How much of this movie is about appearances and and disassociative appearances. Right? She walks into one room and she has to. Be be a completely different person. She walks into another room and is a completely different person. And how that would, you know, I guess that is sort of psychological and how in your mind that might scramble who you are. Like, you, do you lose track of who you are inside? The journal that she's writing is actually, and you only get the stuff from the commentary. This is another movie where the commentary, I listened to the first 20 minutes, 15 minutes with the commentary on and it really enhanced my viewing. Now you shouldn't have to. <laughs> you should be able to watch the movie and get what you need. But it opened up some things for me. One of them was that this journal that she's working on is something that some of these girlfriend experience escorts actually do to keep track of because so they go out they have a, a date with a john and they come home and make all these notes about it so they remember okay he talked about this book and that movie and that art thing and they'll look up all that stuff and read the book and see the movie and so the next time that they have a date they can give them that girlfriend experience they can talk about the stuff so it's not just isolated you know one of the things that soderbergh talks about in this commentary is that one of the differences between and the fascinating differences between a girlfriend experience escort and a and a regular escort is that what people are paying for is an emotionally intimate experience that they're paying for to make out. He talked about it as like a surcharge. There's like the surcharge that you pay to get to make out with somebody, which is why in, in, the, in that opening pre-sex scene, the first date that we see her on, there's a long shot that lingers on them kissing on the couch. And she makes note of that in the diary because that's that's something that's different about this kind of an escort. Now, that would be more sort of effective maybe if we knew that and if the movie gave us that, if you didn't have to listen to the commentary to get that. But I don't mind movies that are a little bit more anthropological that make you put them together a little bit that aren't going to... I don't want to know what's inside her heart because she doesn't know or she has no access to it. Or you know, I, I think if you tried to do that, you would be... I think you would ruin the movie a little bit because it would make it more like a quote-unquote movie and less like a girlfriend experience. Well, I like that element of it. I really like how the movie ends with her just sort of hugging that guy, right? Because like, it sets it up. And I like that that pays off in that way. One of the things I think 
too for me is just like maybe the last thing and this this wasn't as big a deal but it kind of goes off a little bit what you were saying there Tobin at the end is like there's different rules with an escort and with the girlfriend experience you know an escort will just come over have sex and leave or stay or whatever you know but and then the girlfriend experience will go shopping with you maybe I don't know go to dinner at your parents house like things a girlfriend would do I didn't get as much as that as I was expecting like I wish there was more contrast between her and a real escort you know I I, I wish there was more than that one scene where she goes to that really sleazy dude's dad's carpet shop and you know for that audition on his website or whatever like then I really got it like he's treating her like an escort whereas she sees herself more as like this high class girlfriend experience thing it wasn't totally necessary. It didn't ruin the movie for me by any means because it's it's about more than that. Uh, but I did hope to maybe see just a little more of like what she was up against, maybe, or just what she what the other side of of her profession is like, you know. Well, I think though we've seen that. I mean, we've seen a lot of movies about prostitutes, and and this is this is not that. And, and, and I think that that's, you know, it's interesting you say that he, where that sleazy guy in the carpet place treats her like, you know, well, probably worse than a escort, right? Like he just, he, he's, it's horrible, horrible to her. Like, like not, a, not even as a human being, right? But so is the journalist. Like that interview she has with this journalist throughout the, the course of the movie that we keep cutting back to, he keeps talking to her, not like she's a person. And he's, and I think we're meant to think when, when we first hear that conversation, that he is much more sort of reasonable and thoughtful and he's not trying to have sex with her he's trying to sort of get to know her more so we can write this thing but he is he is commodifying her as much as any of her johns are maybe even more so in the way he talks about her appearance the way he talks about trying to get to know her and it becomes so so uncomfortable that interaction becomes so uncomfortable for me to watch because of how he's treating her and i think that that's something this movie either intentionally or unintentionally gets to as well is how demoralizing that is even as she is taking control of herself and that that every interaction she has except maybe with her real boyfriend she is sort of, that she's being commodified and that, and that maybe even that case too maybe even in in their relationship she is too and maybe all relationships are i don't know but i think it the, the movie i think raises those questions pretty well so do you think that's why in that conversation with her boyfriend where at the like toward the end of the movie where she's like, I just met a guy and we're going to go away for the weekend and he's like freaking out at her like, you know, that's our rule. Like you don't go away with a guy, let alone a guy you just met today. Do you think that's why he shot it in a way where she's sort of like hidden behind a chair because she's more protected? Like, I don't know. Because that do you remember that scene where like yeah, they're both yeah. talking and they're both sort of behind things and it's like a, a still shot of basically just like looking at their apartment when like the top of their heads and it's shot so differently which was interesting do you think it's like it's shot differently because it's a different type of conversation but it's almost like the more open she is the more honest she is the more the frame sort of protects her right and then when she's being dehumanized or commoditized in that interview with the journalist where he's basically like forcing her to admit like she wouldn't do this if she wasn't beautiful and all this like weird awkward stuff she's just so prominently featured like that's got to be the point of that kind of framing and shooting and editing right yeah I, I think so and i think that's why i like the way this movie is shot so much is because he uses the the camera to be really expressive and it's kind of sneaky in ways too like one of my favorite things he does is he shoots her out of focus a lot 
sometimes that's just like subconscious. You're like, wait, was she out of focus that whole sequence or whatever? But when you see it four or five times throughout the movie, it starts to mean something. And that isn't the only scene where she's sort of uh, blocked by objects and and you know we can't really see her while she's talking about herself and stuff so i definitely think that was intentional and i think it's mo- it's things like that that are elevating this film he's he's pulling his tricks off a little better while he's experimenting here than he has previously like he it seems like he's having more fun with this material quite frankly that he's really into this and he wants to get to the bottom of something and that reporter character you know maybe that in a way is a part of him trying to figure Mm -hmm. out like what is this all about you know this is like an investigation in a lot of ways yeah and there's an artificiality or an appreciation of artifice to this movie. Like, she's performing a character every time that she's with these people. We have to remember, too, what happened right before, in the, in the chronological version of this movie, what happened right before that scene where things get heated, which is that she's had this terrible, awful review online, and she ends up, right after that, goes to meet this TV writer, John, and he listens to her and she and she shares with him and suddenly it's not a she's not acting i think she's in that moment she's actually sort of being genuine with him and then he takes her out and they go look at this art and they you know he so she's made this connection that she's not gotten from from her boyfriend and she sort of is falling for her own tricks right he ends up this tv writer guy ends up not being good for her ends up standing her up when she does go away for the weekend and i think that says something about how that conversation comes to be it's also worth noting that when they shot when they wrote this movie and shot this movie it was chronological soderbergh said he always knew he was going to scramble it he knew he was it was going to be non-chronological but because he was working with non-actors and because of the sort of the nature of the material and the speed with with which they had to shoot they shot it all chronological and it's only after the fact that he sort of scrambled the narrative you know what maybe it's maybe that maybe now's a good time to talk about it piggybacking off of that i was watching this movie wondering if you don't know what this movie's about which i feel like if you saw anything about this movie you know what it's about but like it was hard for me to figure out at what point in the movie you realize what she does right Mm -hmm. yeah 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 which is kind of interesting because, like, it just seems like she's like in a relationship with this guy in the beginning, right? I don't know that the movie ever really explicitly comes out, at least not for a while, and says, "Hey, this is what I do." There's one moment where she uh, early, sort of early in the first act, or I think within the first 15 minutes, which is still like that is, you know, a good time to reveal something. Um, she gets back into the limo and starts counting money, and the driver asks, you know, how it went and everything. And so I think at that point you're like, okay, she's at least a high-end call girl of some kind. Right, which is interesting, I think, to me. that like, I mean, that's not subtle, but it's not like overtly coming out and saying... It's just, it's just strange, and I like that. You know, it's the kind of thing where like, I like to go into movies knowing as little about them as possible. And like, if you know one thing about this movie, you already know what she is from the first frame, but it's just interesting that how, not backhanded, but like carefully, he kind of unfolds who she is. Right, right. And you know, the other thing that I think gets to all this... I think you're totally right, is that the movie asks the question, how long can you play a bunch of characters before you lose yourself? And I think that's part of why we don't get to who she is. And maybe this gets into, we've talked before on this podcast about how so many of his movies are about the making of movies and that there's something maybe about the actor's life in this movie. If you think about the way an actor will go from movie to movie to movie playing all these different characters you know, for money uh, and then come out of the other side and 
how hard is it to maintain your relationships in real life? How hard is it to maintain a bead on who you are? How hard is it to be face to face with a with a reporter who really wants something specific and you know like near and dear to you, right? Wants a piece of you to take and splash all over the pages of whatever magazine or website they're writing for. And I think that that viewed that way too, this is a it's an interesting way I think to look at this movie, especially because you have two different versions of that. You have her version, who's the movie star version. She's moving from like B-list to A-list, maybe, right? Like she's working at a high level. And then her boyfriend, who's at a very low level and just trying desperately to get anything to work, to sell his his clothing line, to get longer gym time, to get clients to sign up for more sessions or whatever. And you, you sort of see that desperation from all ends of the spectrum. Speaking of that clothing line, one thing I wanted to point out real quick is that I like that he goes to Ramsey Outdoor. I was like, where's Tony Soprano? Where's Robert Patrick? Like, where is, where's the Sopranos in this? Uh, but what also, you know, I didn't think about it in the context of the movie watching it for the first time. If I saw it again and thought about it really within the frame of, like you said earlier, Tobin, that everybody's hustling. When he goes to Ramsey, when he takes that cab to Ramsey, like we cut to the taxi and the first thing we see is that $108 cab fee. You know what I mean? Like bus, homie. It's like, <laughs> you could take a bus. I thought about that, dude. Like, look where they live. Look at their apartment. Like, that's millions of dollars, right? Like, that apartment. Well, you know who's paying for that. Well, exactly, though. But it seems like, you know, I don't want to say, like, they're living beyond their means, but they're young. It seems like an unnecessary frill. Like, they could have a half an apartment half that size. Like, it's all about image. She gets $2,000 an hour. I don't know if that, is that number said in the movie or no? No, it's, that's only in the promotional material. So she gets $2,000 an hour. So I was thinking if she goes away for a weekend, which I, which we've found out that she never does, I don't know if they negotiate a rate, but like she might make like a hundred grand over the weekend. They have money to throw around if things are good. It's just that when we drop in on them at this time, things are not necessarily good. And I think they're fine for her, right? One of the interesting things is that you never, uh, and again, this comes from the commentary, but uh, it links to something that I did notice about the movie. Like, were you guys waiting to hear that she was abused as a child or that she had some kind of rough childhood and that was what led her into, into no. prostitution? Because I think I was. I, I think part of, part of me, the first time I saw it, was like, what has she survived? He's very explicit about saying, like, I, do, I did not want to tell that story. And one of the girlfriend experience escorts that they talked to, sort of worked with in developing the material, well, actually, all the ones they talked to came from money. They came from uh, affluent households. They came from education. Most of them did not have sort some sort of sexual trauma in their past that sort of had caused or has led led to this. And I think that that I don't know. I think I think that that's an interesting thing. Now maybe he didn't explore that all the way. Like he didn't doesn't get to the question of why does she except that she says. I want. I didn't want to be. Um, how did she say it? I didn't want to be dependent on my parents for money or something like that. And that's like all we get as to why. And it, so it ends up being kind of a statement about empowerment. Whether we believe that or not, I don't know. What I thought was really interesting about her character was that she didn't show signs of abuse or trauma. I mean, even if it's there, right? I mean, the movie does not tackle that. So I thought that was an interesting take. And I also thought it was interesting that like you said like everybody around her is struggling but she's a constant right like they they're still spending money on her she happens to be like in this one job where recession like isn't really gonna hurt her as much as everyone else it's kind of interesting like one guy mentions you know this is gonna have to we're gonna have to cut back on this if things don't pick up soon or whatever everyone else no one else really 
says that. Like she seems to just keep getting dates. She seems to have regulars. She seems to yeah be booked. So it is kind of interesting in that regard that it's like I mean even though it is you know prostitution, but it's kind of funny that all the men are struggling and it's the one woman in the movie that's like surviving. Well, I feel like in times of recession, there's certain markets maybe that are sort of recession proof. People are always going to probably drink and people are always going to gamble and people are always going to want companionship so that like we never see really who these guys are that she's dating on any kind of deep level. But I feel like even if they're not doing well, they're still probably spending the money they have on this. I think that's why she's sort of recession proof in a sense. And also going back to her sort of status as being, you know, such an expensive high-end call girl, the girlfriend experience. I don't think, Tobin, that I was ever expecting her to say that she was abused or find out more about her backstory, because I feel like, and this is probably just flat-out wrong, but I feel like if you reach that kind of, like, status, it's something that you choose to do for personal growth and not, like, you're not, like, forced into. That you're not, like, a damaged person and sort of, like, you don't know, and this is sort of generalizing every porn star, and I don't want to really do that, but, like, if you're able to sort of elevate yourself to that $2,000 an hour price point, you probably started, like you were saying, you know, from education, from money, sort of had a plan, and it wasn't like a, oh, I need to get out of my trailer so that my dad doesn't beat me anymore. Let me go down to Florida and stay. Like, if there's, like, the documentaries, like, there's that Netflix documentary, Hot Girls Wanted, where you just see, like, girls, it happens all the time in, like, Florida and California, whatever, where they just go somewhere and just expect to become superstars. And there's just so many girls that, like, they get burnt out after six months or whatever, if they even last that long. I feel like to get to this point, you need to sort of have a plan and sort of come from money and be beautiful and, like, sort of want to do that. And I think that's because she was at that level. I never expected her to be like this rags to riches story, a sort of, you know, rich to riches story or something. Yeah, and I think maybe the maintenance of that status can become a trap too right like yes like that apartment right right. yeah exactly and i think we're witnessing much of that throughout this movie as well i also think that this is i think appropriately a real indictment of one strain of popular contemporary american masculinity my least favorite well my least favorite person in this movie is that sleazy guy in the carpet place but my other least favorite people are all of these guys on the private jet who I feel so uncomfortable for Chris, for our trainer. Like, they're prostituting him on that plane. Like, he is their token poor guy. It just feels so grody to me. And not even what they're saying, but the whole, just the whole atmosphere of it, and the way they act to one another, and the way they act to him. And then to think that, like, these are the guys who are her clients. Like, this is her client base wealthy guys uh, who have not all of them because we see that she has i guess a, a more diverse client list but like she could end up with one of these guys i transferred my sort of creeped out <laughs> feelings for chris to my creeped out feelings for her thinking she could draw one of these guys once and what a terrible thing that would be well i wrote down in my notes and it was my letterbox review that this entire movie she's just being mansplained to or like she's being taught yes, like it just yes. it's it's basically <laughs> yes. it's it's not even just the rich guys like the other the other thing i made note of is when she's talking about her website and there's that like just like the coder the, the the web developer and he's just like talking down to her about like seo and stuff and just like about like oh you need people to link to your like I, like just do the work like she can pay you like if you're that guy why are you talking down to a girl that looks like this like what what is your end game dude i feel like that's sort of the point 
or to anybody. Like, why are you talking down to a woman like this at all? I know, but, like, I feel like that's the point. Like, just, like, look how terrible men are across the board right. in every different way. You don't want to feel bad for her because she is empowered and she's setting her own life and look at this great apartment she can afford and she can support her boyfriend and, like, she wants to do this and all this different stuff. But, like, at the same time, you're like, oh, honey, you don't have to take this. All these guys are just terrible, terrible people. Maybe it's because we're recording in October, but I almost half wanted her to just kill all the guys she slept with by the end, and then she was like the girlfriend experience killer. Yeah, one of the things that I really appreciate about the ending, which I love, I love the ending to this movie, that she goes to this guy and takes off, you know, strips down to her underwear, and he strips off down to his, like, shirt and underwear, and then he just hugs her and comes. That moment to me is so kind of pathetic and tender at the same time and it's so personal and impersonal at the same time and gets to the the duality of this whole experience for her and uh, the experience for us maybe of watching the movie like the movie plays this kind of half pathetic half tender quality the whole time and feels very impersonal even as she's because we know she's acting to be personal that she is both powerful and powerless at the same time and i think one of the hard things about this movie is that a lot of movies will present a character who's that way and then that character will by the end of the movie become either powerful or become powerless and it will like decide for you and this movie's not interested in deciding which way she, her life is going to continue this way for her for the foreseeable future. And that is both sort of a good thing because she does seem to like what she does and she does seem to be good at it. And as you say, is a kind of a sad, awful thing too because of what she has to, to go through in order to do it. And I just think the ending captures that so beautifully. I think now might be a good time because I don't know where to go from that because I think that was really well said. Now might be time to mention that there are two cuts of this movie that we all watch the theatrical release, which another thing that we didn't point out yet that I love about this movie is that it's only 77 minutes long. Like it's it's a baby movie, which I love. Like, whoo boy. So there's a 77 minute cut that we watch, but there's also an alternate cut on the DVD and Blu-ray that none of us watch because we are fully dedicated to this podcast. But from what I read online at moviecensorship.com, it seems like it's mostly similar things. The similar scenes, I think it's structured in a similar way. There's scenes that begin a little bit earlier or begin a little bit later or different angles of conversations and sort of a different kind of experiment experience that we've talked about that Soderbergh has done with other projects that we've talked about here so far on Cinemakers. The only significant difference from what I've heard is a more detailed or graphic or longer scene with that creepy carpet guy that we talked about earlier when he's talking about her wanting to stick the Q-tip inside her. Just like, it's it's all disgusting. That scene apparently is longer. Or maybe, I don't know if it's that scene or the end scene where she's recounting it to, I don't know if it was just me, but to a guy who looks a lot like a young George Clooney. Um, I don't know if you, either of you saw that. Maybe I was just, you know, maybe my brain correlates Clooney and Soderbergh, but... I don't know if it's a scene where she's actually talking to the guy or the scene where she's recounting that, but one of those scenes is longer. Runtime, it's within like 30 seconds, so it's not significantly different. I think it's about five minutes total of different footage. I would say if you watch this movie and you want to watch another take on it, watch it with the commentary. I watched the first 10 minutes of the alternate cut and that's not enough to judge it by any means but you you could see that it was just he would stay on a wide shot instead of moving to a close-up at the end of a scene and it was sort of i think it would be sort of I, i'm sure it would have a cumulative effect on the movie experience but seeing it with the commentary it's both it's it's soderbergh and sasha gray doing the commentary together and as with so many of these of these soderbergh movies it's just a great conversation and opens the movie and interpretations of the movie in ways i hadn't ever 
thought about before. So I that's if you're going to watch a second, if you're going to do a second run at it, I would do that probably. Does she come across more naturally in the commentary than she does in the movie, or no? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, and she you know she talks about how again one of the women that she dealt with, the walls never came down, and so I think that was a real conscious choice. I think it also plays to her strengths as an actor. It feels like there's something going on inside, but she's not going to give us access to that, which is like a dangerous thing in a movie star right like we're used to actors who allow you to sort of see what's going on in them and she and you don't get that from her i took that to be as much her uh, and soderbergh making a purposeful choice as opposed to just sort of she's quote unquote not a good actor or not a straight actor you know i actually quite like her in this movie like i think it's because i come to not kind of like her character very much you know like i believe her and i also believe that she's very much probably just like a normal person in real life but I didn't get the sense that this might be how Sasha Gray the person is you know what I'm saying like I got the sense that this is a crafted character and this is a script and you know this isn't all improv and we're not basing everything off of real people even if we're using real people here so all in all I think that he found like a nice sort of like blend of everything here during this experiment Everything sort of worked well, like um, his, his use of professional and amateur came together, and he pulled it off. One thing I thought was interesting, an interesting decision, is that when she's, rec- when she's, I guess, writing her book or writing her diary, she sometimes stumbles over her words and just restarts a sentence. And it's not like she's looking yeah. to rephrase things. It's not like she's, like, saying, it was a good, no, it was a beautiful day. You know what I mean? She literally misspeaks the line and then just starts over, and he leaves that in there. Which is strange. It's so strange. I, lo- I love it so much. I love that he I don't know that. why. Why? Why is it there? Because she, she has such a like precisely cultivated image, you know, this high-end call girl. And then here, she's imperfect? Like, is that the point? Like, I don't know what it is. I don't know. Possibly. I think that, that, could, that could be a reading of it. I mean, for me, it, it feels like she wanted to get it right. And like you said, she is looking for precision and she just wants to make sure that you know maybe she needs to read it back a second to make sure she wrote the right thing but i don't know i actually got sort of like a french new wave vibe off of this movie from time to time Mm -hmm. with moments like that like the way he uses voiceover is unconventional and so that is just like another step to make it stand out a little different than you know the normal voiceover I think that if you need a story reason for her to do that, it's not that she's writing the journal. It's that she's rereading it before she goes back on the date with the next date. And so that she familiarizes herself with exactly what she wrote at the time. And and so that, that she could sort of make a seamless girlfriend experience for the John. I don't know that you need that. I totally agree, Mike. And I think that the, the way to think about this movie is to think about it as an experimental film, truly, or think about it as a, like a, one of the French New Wave experiments. And I think that, that if you do that, if you go in with that, this movie is not going to give me a very traditional narrative and psychologically open protagonist. And it's going to be interested in more intellectual things and that you have to grapple with it and sort of piece it together and probably watch it twice to have it all come together. I think you will have a more full fulfilling experience watching the movie. My only other note about this movie, and I don't know if you guys have a lot more to say or not, but I feel like I've sort of run out of things to say, but we were talking earlier about how it is kind of like a bookend with Bubble. I kind of saw this sort of as like a prequel of sorts to Haywire. Similar in that you're taking a woman who's not really an actress 
and putting her at the forefront of your movie. I've only seen Haywire once. I saw that when it first hit Blu-ray, I think. I loved it. From what I remember, I loved it. Uh, so I'm interested to see that again because I liked it, but also to see it within the frame of Soderbergh taking a non-actress in Gina Carano. And I know that an action movie is different from a drama because a drama is so carried by the performance while like an action movie can be like if you can look cool and do cool things and like kick some ass it doesn't really matter if you like can't really act between those scenes but i don't remember being taken out of it i'm looking forward to re-watching that to see it again number one but also to see it again and see what if he maybe learned things from working with sasha gray or the people in bubble or if it's different or like how it compares to these other things because it's so similar in that way and i just i, I like the final product more yeah, I like that idea because, like, even though they're completely different movies, he got people to work sort of telling stories that deal with their respective field. Haywire is an action film, and she's a mixed martial artist, right? Like, she's a fighter. So, like, it has to do with fighting. Whereas the girlfriend experience, Sasha Gray, comes from, she's an adult film star, and she this movie explores the world of escorts and sexuality and you know all that so I mean yes they're very different films but it's cool it's almost as if he like got Bill Nye the science guy to star in Contagion or something like <laughs> but that's pretty cool no it's a great point and uh, it gets to something that maybe is why I'm more predisposed to these experiments than I think Joey especially you are is that he's really interested in process and how things happen how things are done the rules of whatever game is being played and he's not interested as much in crafting that into some kind of more traditional narrative like he's just is as much as anything else interested in how it happens the same is true with magic mike right that that given that channing tatum's history as a male dancer right that that's a, a something he's interested in how does this stuff actually happen and he's content to have scenes play out where it just happens it's one of the things i like so much about david fincher's zodiac uh, or, or sort of any procedural right is if you're going to give up sort of traditional emotional psychological character study then the other way to go is to is to see more clinically how this happened and how it must have felt at the time to go through it and i am a sucker for that i think that you can sort of learn how these you know in this case these professions work the stresses that come with it and what it does to you as a person and i'm sort of predisposed to like that and maybe that's why i sort of like these movies more Tobin, any other thoughts about the girlfriend experience? Only one last thing. There's so many clues in this movie, so many shots that are clues to questions or mysteries that maybe aren't even explicit in the movie. And one of them that really, I don't know exactly why it affected me so much this time, was early in the movie we see a package delivered for Christine. And Chris gets it at the door and he's on his way out to his right we don't know quite what it is and then it turns out that in the linear story of the movie this is the piece of art that she and the tv guy who eventually then stood her up that she thought she had this actual connection with and maybe a quote-unquote future with that she sort of threw away her actual relationship to go test out it ends up being at the end of the movie she opens it and we see that it's this painting and something i didn't notice the first time around that i think was a real clue to the movie underneath the movie was that there's a close-up shot of that at the end of the package and you can see her name very clearly on it and it's christine she is known as chelsea to all her johns she doesn't give them her real name which led me to believe that okay she really did open up to this guy she really was vulnerable and wasn't acting with this tv oh. writer guy who that she thought she was going to have this thing with and he had such a connection with her or she thought she had such, such a connection with him that she told him who she was 
she wasn't going upstate or to the Hamptons or wherever she was going to go spend the weekend with this guy as Chelsea. She was going as Christine, which is why it stings so much. And I did not get that at all the first time I watched the movie. It was only this the second time seeing that and understanding that she was Chelsea and Christine and, and the distinction between those names. There are little things like that in this movie that open up the more you see it. So again, I, I encourage you if, you, if you have seen it before and sort of felt eh about it, I would give it another go. I love that. Also, one thing I wanted to point out was that in the TV show, again, it's Chelsea and Christine, but it's a different character. Like, it's a different person. Like, it's not the same person. It's the same names, which is sort of weird. But that just reminded me. But I really, really love that little fact. My whole thing about when she went away is I just hope she got paid, you know? She got the ride well, up wasn't. there, but, like, I hope she no, got paid. No, it wasn't. It wasn't a... Oh, she's for free? For funsies? Yeah, she, she was going to actually try and have Ugh. a relationship with this guy. That's what's so sad about it. She was going as Christine, not as Chelsea. That He paid for her car, and he paid for the hotel. She didn't have to pay for that stuff. Oh, but But she was opening her life to this guy in a non-girlfriend experience way, in a, in a real-life way, and got kicked for it. You know, it's even more painful than that, right? Which makes me wonder how she met her real boyfriend in the movie. Mike, any last thoughts about the girlfriend experience? Well, I definitely liked it more the second time. Maybe it's because it's under the scrutiny of the podcast, but I also feel like it is a pretty strong film. There hasn't really been anything quite like this exploring this topic. I wasn't really aware of a girlfriend experience until this movie came out. You know, I really feel like this movie made this term part of the zeitgeist. Like, I, before this film, I had never heard of the girlfriend experience, and, you know, now it's a very common term. It's interesting. It, I could definitely see it's not for everybody. It's not, like, super accessible. Like, you know, it's a movie that makes you want to work at watching it at times, and I think that's that's fine. And, you know, I expressed my issues with it earlier in the podcast and stuff about the structure and, and some of that stuff. But all that aside, I was really entertained by it this time. You know, it's intriguing. It's just, like, this world that I'm never gonna, like, see a glimpse of. Just this, this, it, the 1%, right? Like, I mean, it's what, how the 1% was doing during the recession, and uh, you get sort of an idea that good to see them sweating at times, so that was nice. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot going on in this movie, so... I agree with you, Joey. I think this is definitely his most successful experimental film. It's better than K Street. Obviously, that's not a film, but it's along those, these lines. It's, I like it more than Bubble. I like it more than um, the World War II one. Full Frontal, I like it more than that. So, yeah, I feel like I, he found a, a happy medium here, like I said, be, between the pro and non-pro uh, crew and cast and, and everything here. So, yeah, I recommend it. If nothing else, I'm just glad that this movie exists so that we can get a full season of a TV show with my beloved Riley Keough. That's all I want. <laughs> so for all things Cinemakers, you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub or at cageclubpod on Twitter. You can see all the episodes. This is episode 22, so we have lots of other episodes. We have 21 other Cinemakers available. We are sort of kind of nearing the end. We have about 10 more as of right now, but Soderbergh has unretired since we began this podcast, so this might go on indefinitely. Mike and I also haven't talked about whether or not we're going to do, like Cage or Keanu, when they do a movie after we finish the podcast, we go back and cover those. Are we going to go back and see, you know, like when his TV show comes out or whatever, if we're in the middle of the next director, are we going to take a pause and do that? Like, we don't know. We've got things to figure out that we should probably do <laughs> off-air instead of on-air. I thought you were going to announce something here. I no, was all, no, I was no, no. 
no, no, no. But we've got another eight or nine episodes, I think, at least, of Cinemakers to come with Steven Soderbergh before Tobin bids us farewell to some other future podcast where hopefully we can talk about Zodiac. Anyway, cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, at cageclubpod on Twitter. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Mike Manzi. And I am Tobin Adams. And we'll see you next time on Cinemakers. Thank you.